Warning. This episode contains quite a bit of strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Also, this episode's reading carries content warnings for some blood, extremely unsafe handling of swords, and extremely incorrect understanding of swords. This episode's reading is just under 20 minutes long, so if you would like to bypass any of those things, just skip ahead 20 minutes from the beginning of the reading, and you'll be all good. excited today to introduce my guest. Mary Baker is an author, a cosplayer, uh, the designer of Amal's uh, This Is How You Lose the Time War Nebula's uh, statement jacket piece thing. Just like there, there will be pictures in the show notes. It's incredible. <laughs> Look it up. Uh, Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Absolutely. This is um, this is another one of those episodes where I just like we were shit posting and then <laughs> decided, you know what? Let's do a podcast. Honestly, the best way to decide to do a thing together. We are all bound by the deep connection of shit posting. Yes, absolutely. Uh, deeply and abidingly, as uh, good friend of the show Lillian Boyd would say. <laughs> Uh, so, Miri, you're going to be reading to us from Duel. Is there anything we need to know about it before we get into the reading? Yes. This was written uh, many moons ago now <laughs> as a submission to the Machine of Death anthology, the second Machine of Death anthology. And the prompt for these anthologies was, there exists somewhere a machine which by one simple blood test will tell you how you are going to die. It'll spit it out on a nice little card. It is correct technically <laughs> that's the only rule so each of these stories uh, that was submitted and no mine was not accepted let us <laughs> say that very clearly this is the trunk yeah. um but the title of each of these stories was to be a machine result that was relevant to the story so mine is dual fantastic uh content warnings for a uh, little bit of blood extremely unsafe handling of swords okay and extremely incorrect understanding of swords excellent excellent we're here for it all right shall i begin do it all right duel the machine didn't change my life a damn bit it spat out duel i could have told you that <laughs> i won't pretend it didn't heighten that tiny twinge of nerves that accompanied the steady march out from the center of the field at the 10 pace mark, I turned to face my opponent, William Tamfield, senior duelist and vice president of the Tamfield Academy Society of the Sword. He gave me a tilted grin across the green before turning to wave jauntily at his cheering section from the club. He knew he outclassed me. They all knew it. But I knew that he'd received the same reading from the machines I had. 
he <laughs> proudly proclaimed that he'd hung it up on the wall over his bed. So I figured that even just out. In my defense, he had called my mother a whore. <laughs> the demands of honor were pretty clear here. My own shouting gallery made a good show of pretending I had a chance. My supporters from the club lined the fence posts, wearing their society tabards and more than a few waving swords. Behind them, hanging back somewhat in apprehension, stood our classmates, hallmates, sneaking a drink in the back of the library mates. <laughs> in their jeans and sneakers, they looked out of place and felt it, too, but they came anyway, to see the entertainment offered by a school that made its money by living in the past. At the table by center field, the other society officers readied the clock. The president nodded, and the secretary sounded the starting buzzer. Ten minutes. We might settle petty arguments with blades, but we weren't barbarians. <laughs> I knew the look on Will's face. His friends continued their jeering, but his focus narrowed on me. The shouts all around didn't phase me, but I shifted a foot forward and felt the corner of the machine card in my pocket. Irrationally, I wished I'd taken a moment to stuff it in the dust drawer. <laughs> nah. Will wouldn't kill me. He'd consider it unsporting, he wouldn't want to deal with the paperwork, and it wouldn't afford him nearly enough opportunities to gloat. <laughs> to no one's surprise, he ran rings around me. To my surprise, he kept the trash talk to a minimum as he did so. When the clock rang out and I still hadn't yielded, a rare accomplishment with Will as the opponent, he stepped back and appraised me. Almost salvaged some honor there, Alex, he said. Not bad for a cheeky little son of a bitch. <laughs> Having not yet left the field, I could choose whether to accept this as a new challenge or defer it as part of the lap. I shook my head, gasping for breath. Undoubtedly, I'd fight him again soon enough, but at the moment, I'd rather go a week without a duel hanging over my head. <laughs> Will took this predictably well. He sheathed the sword, spat in my direction, and stomped out the gate peeling the gloves from his hands amidst the celebratory crush of yells and backslapping. I wiped down my blade and scanned my much quieter side. No one whose duels I couldn't miss. I gave them a wave and a smile, without much heart neither, and trudged up the hill to the dorm. I had my key in the door before the post-duel giddiness hit me. Will had managed to keep his mouth shut because he'd been concentrating. He'd <laughs> beaten me, but I'd made him work for it. I opened the door, and my roommate Jason saw the stupid grin on my face. He snapped his laptop shut. Well... Did you win? Nope, I said, letting some of my glee flow into the word. I sounded so happy that I wanted to punch myself in the face, but it wouldn't last long. But I'm definitely improving. I'll beat him before we graduate. I threw the sword down on my bed and untied the tabard, slapping my machine card down on my dresser. You got tested? Jason didn't miss much. His disapproval obliterated my after-duel high. Hmm. Yeah, I said. Figured I might as well. Here, take a look. Not like it's a surprise. I'm actually relieved. You know Marcus Flory that ran for society VP last year? Poor guy got old age. He quit yesterday. I was talking too much, but there was something in Jason's face as he stared at the card that I didn't like. Don't remember him, he said, setting the card lightly in its place on the dresser. When's society practice again? Thursdays? Yeah, same as always. Missed you out there the last few weeks. He snorted. I shrugged. He knew I meant it, and I knew that no one else would have. Hmm. Maybe I'll come back this week. I've needed to work out. Jason was tall, weedy, ghost pale. He didn't need to work out so much as he needed to go outside. And wouldn't hurt. I glanced at my alarm clock as I peeled my dual reminder sticky note off my desk. I have three minutes to kill, so might as well ask. You gonna get tested? Jason jumped. He opened his laptop and gave a nervous twitch over the keys. No, I don't think so. I raised an eyebrow as he studiously avoided my gaze. Not going to be able to avoid it forever, especially if you come back to society meets. They all... 
did they all get the same reading as you? Other than Marcus Lurie. More or less. President Will and the entire third form came out dual. Secretary got complications. Thought that was interesting. <laughs> oh, you might have already been gone, but did you meet Brandon Haley? Jason flicked his gaze off the screen, thinking about it. Freshman? Real short? Big mouth? Yeah, he got stupidity. <laughs> Jason actually cracked a grin. What a surprise. I had to chuckle. Yeah, well, see you after Lincoln Logs. Don't let Professor Lincoln hear you call it that. Jason sounded normal again, but before I left, I saw him glance at my machine card, like it might snap out and bite him. Thursday night, I watched the door of the society locker room and hoped Jason wouldn't show. The last of the newly admitted first forms had been squirted to the machine by some senior, probably Will, and were excitedly <laughs> comparing results. I buckled my belt, grabbed my sword, and stomped out, but the practice hall was just as bad, the short-sighted chatter replaced by quiet judgment. A sparring buddy of mine waved me over, Ethan Liu. Machine reading, accident. I was no better than them. We matched swords, swung down, and started our warm-up routine. I prayed that he'd keep his mouth shut, but that wasn't really his thing. <laughs> Heard you went up to the machine last weekend, he said, sidestepping a strike. I reset my blade and regulated my breathing. Good reading, am I right? Guess you could say that. Not making you nervous at all, is it? Ethan went out of his way to hide it, but the guy was perceptive. Just my effort at keeping my tone neutral tipped him off. Didn't mean I wasn't going to try. Not any more than usual. You? Nah. Ethan met every strike with respectful force, twinging the muscles that were still sore from my duel with Will. It's vague enough to mean anything. The specificity of duel would get me. <laughs> I haven't thought about it much. Not anymore since getting the reading, at least. I've been in fights since I was a kid and would continue well after I graduated. At least in the society, with its rules and traditions. If I got myself killed, it would be mostly my own fault. <laughs> I just wish people would talk about something else occasionally, you know? Oh, I don't know. The first forms are hilarious. Did you know that Derek Ford got pursued by a bear? <laughs> Suddenly, I was as tired of the topic as my roommate. I doubled the force of my next strike, putting Ethan on the defensive, and thus shut him up until the door from the locker room opened. Ethan swiped his sword to the side. Is that Jason? My mouth went dry. Is it? <sighs> the practice tabard looked wrong on Jason, and he wore it uncomfortably. He held his sword at an awkward angle and cast a nervous eye around the room. Unable to reasonably hide, I waved him over. Been a while. Ethan was a good dude, but his indiscriminate extroversion clashed with Jason's cool containment. Both <laughs> held themselves back. Doing all right? Yeah, I'm good. He didn't look good. He looked like he hadn't slept since my duel. Ethan noticed, but he covered it immediately. We chatted and traded off sparring. The conversation hit a lull, and for the last month there'd been only one topic to which we might default. I saw Ethan's mouth open as I pivoted. Three, two, one. You been up to the machine yet? <laughs> Jason jumped, swinging wide. I only managed to block it because I've been waiting for it. Not yet, he said. I gave him a second three-step. I wasn't planning on it, really. To know how well that'll work out for you, said Ethan. I opened my mouth, but he went on. I'm not trying to knock his decision, I'm just saying. <laughs> Pretty soon you won't be able to get a job without putting your machine reading on your resume. Jason shrugged, but every muscle in his arm and face was tense, his movements a little too crisp. Not too worried about it. <laughs> oh, you already got something lined up? Ethan leaned against the wall, raising his eyebrows. I looked past Jason's blade at his face. For the last two years, he'd talked nonstop about the job market, looking up statistics on the difficulties of finding employment until it formed its own kind of neurosis. If he had lined up a job, I would have been the first to know. Jason didn't answer. 
His field of vision has narrowed to his sword and mine, and I had to similarly clear my mind to stop him from knocking me over. Ethan didn't make the season. Because if you do, man, you're way ahead of me. Hmm. My card doesn't exactly lend itself, you know? I have to spend half my interviews convincing them that I'll be so careful on the job that I'll make sure my accident happens at home, or <laughs> I don't know, that I'll be intentionally careless while driving, or maybe I can spin it like I'm sure it'll be someone else's accident, because let's face it, it's very well good. Will you shut up? <laughs> Jason's voice hit me at the exact moment his sword didn't. He'd swung wide. Instead of meeting my prepared parry, he smacked Ethan across the chest with the flat of the blade. Ethan blinked and breathed hard. Only the wall at his back stopped him from falling over, not just from the blow, but from the shock of it. Jason had a temper, but few people had ever seen it. A month ago, before he'd stopped coming to practice, he would have gone quiet, maybe made a scathing remark when we got back to the room, and launched into his homework. And even that treatment, he saved for people he genuinely disliked. <laughs> before now, I might have called Jason and Ethan friends. But Jason just stood there, shoulders rising and falling but otherwise dead still not apologetic in the least ethan pulled himself together the demands of honor were clear i accept ethan said just as disbelieving his eye that he'd been forced to form the words i'll get us put on the list no need we've got you down already <laughs> of course will would be watching he walked up secretary in tow the secretary finished making a note on his phone and tucked it back in his pocket Jason, haven't seen you in a while. Still just as skinny as ever. <laughs> Will towered six over Jason. Will towered six inches over Jason and probably weighed two of them. And the two had gotten under each other's skin for longer than I could remember. I counted both Jason and myself lucky that Will's comment, while not well-intentioned, didn't constitute a challenge. <laughs> and then Jason opened his mouth. I saw what he was going to say, and since I agreed wholeheartedly, I said it before he got the chance. And you're just as much of an asshole. <laughs> Jason shot me a dirty look, but Will just smiled. The secretary pulled out his phone. Schedule those back to back, said Will. <laughs> his job done, he turned and spun his sword in his hand. We'll have a fun Saturday. I'd seen most of Ethan's duels. He took them exactly seriously enough to avoid major injury. But beyond that, he fought because he loved it. If his machine card even crossed his mind, he never let it show. I wasn't worried about the card either. Jason fought very, very intentionally. I'm not a body language analyst. It's why I could have never been society president. But I knew Jason. He dueled that day with the kind of focus he saved for a problem he resented having to solve. Hmm. Ethan started the fight with his easy grin and ready comments intact. It took less than 10 seconds for both to vanish entirely. I glanced at the officer's table often, checking the clock and the mood. The secretary made his notes on the match with mouth drawn tight, keeping track in points of infractions so that a winner could be determined if the match itself came to a draw. The president just watched, analyzing every move. By the two-minute mark, he and I had come to the same conclusion. Ethan fought for the sport, a contest between equals. But Jason wasn't fighting to win. He was fighting to wound. Hmm. I stood nearly alone at Jason's end of the field, my nearest neighbor's half-interested passerby who wouldn't have found standing room on Ethan's side. And more and more, I felt myself rooting for Ethan. Strictly speaking, it remained a fair fight. Nothing Jason did demanded that the officers halt the match. But Jason's tactics weren't simply aggressive. They were cruel. Hmm. What was he doing? He had to know that the whole society was watching and that most were on Ethan's side to begin with. A clean fight might have won him some respect from the guys who didn't hate him outright. Looking down the field, fewer of those existed by the second. 
In a flash, I saw how this would play out. Jason would win the duel. He might have won a clean match, and Ethan wasn't going to fight on this level here, and be besieged by challenges. He wouldn't be able to walk to 8 a.m. comp lab without being tripped or insulted or punched in the jaw. And he'd accept, because behind this bizarrely contemptible facade, he still had that sense of honor and pride that had driven him to the society to begin with. His nerves would take over, and he'd just make it worse, angering his opponents more and more until finally one of them seriously hurt him, or killed him. I suddenly wondered what his machine card would have said had he not been too stubborn or scared to be tested. Hmm. What the hell, man, said Ethan, speaking for all of us watching as he parried another not exactly sporting blow. <laughs> Even eight minutes into a fight, Ethan reserved energy for speech. Did I do something to you? Because I apologize. Jason didn't answer. They were close to my end of the field, so I could see the sweat running down both of their faces. Ethan's defensive confusion finally turning to anger. Jason's cold focus tinged with fear. Fear? Then Jason growled something I didn't catch and swung wildly at Ethan's face. Ethan just barely ducked and almost tripped in the process. He recovered, but a second high swipe nearly knocked him back again. Seriously? Said Ethan, jumping back to give himself space to breathe. Is this how you treat your friends? Jason's entire bearing changed. In a split second, the cold sharpness shattered and reformed into a single sweeping motion. I saw the arc of the blade an instant before it happened, saw Ethan's head reflectively turn at exactly the wrong moment. Everyone heard the blow land. Ethan flew a foot to the side and hit the slick grass headfirst, his entire face red. I'd seen the angle of Jason's blade, tilted just enough to cut on the edge and hit blunt on the follow-through. Beneath the gash, Ethan's jaw was broken. With the match called, Ethan's friends jumped the fence en masse and surged toward him. The duel had ended closer to me, though, so the way was still clear when I leapt forward. Jason hadn't even lowered his sword when I punched him. He dropped the blade and staggered back, pressing his hand to his cheek. The blow would sting, but I hadn't hit him hard enough to do any serious damage. It was just to get his attention. A challenge. He met my eye, stared for a second, and nodded. I turned to the officers, still seated, the secretary just finishing his 911 call. The area hospital knew to have an ear out on Saturdays. We'd have an ambulance here in less than a minute. Hmm. I want a duel, I said, shaking out my hand and setting it on my sword hilt. Now. The president, ever unruffled, met my gaze. Right now? Soon as Ethan's cleared off the field. Is that acceptable? The president considered, then turned to Will. You're the next scheduled opponent. What do you think? Will raised both eyebrows and stretched, interlacing his fingers and cracking the knuckles. I guess. Should be interesting. <laughs> I was forfeiting my duel with him, I knew. After a ten-minute match with Jason, I'd barely be able to breathe. Fine. I'd beat him another day. Or I'd die in this next duel and it wouldn't matter. <laughs> the possibility would have occurred to me whether or not I had the stupid card to remind me. I stepped back and let the pre-med students cluster around Ethan, myriads ahead of the professionals who just pulled up. Ethan would live, but he wouldn't talk for a while. That's how I knew he would live. Half an hour later, Ethan and the meds had vacated, and we'd reset for the unscheduled duel. None of Ethan's friends had gone with him, opting to stay behind and watch the revenge match. Hmm. The crowd had grown in the last ten minutes, text flying. Three or four guys had actually run back up to the dorms and brought back everyone they could find. <laughs> I wondered how many versions of the story had spread. Everyone knew Ethan in the society and outside it. Everyone liked him. And now, simply because I was facing Jason in the center of this field, everyone liked me. That might last for the rest of the day. 
I would beat Jason to a pulp because he deserved it, and Ethan's friends might let it in there. <laughs> I could hope. I didn't say a word to him, just turned and marked my paces. I snapped my sword, felt the weight, and ran through my strategy. The officers readied their notes on the clock. Will smiled, anticipating his easy victory. Starting buzzer. I leapt forward, covering half the space between us in an instant. Jason waited, sword up in defense. I made the first thrust and he parried, as I'd known he would. Mid-movement, I switched and brought my blade up under his guard, almost knocking the swords from his hands. He held on and stepped back. I circled around and we started back toward center field, away from the crowds that lined the fence on all sides. The hell's wrong with you, I said, just before my next attack. He blocked it easily, but I had his attention. You quit the society for a month, come back and turn the whole school against you? Jason didn't duck under my guard, didn't try to distract me with movement. We fought like we smarted, mechanically, in rhythm, keeping in motion to entertain the audience. The real weapons were words. Can't lose friends I never had. You had friends. I cut high. He blocked it, turned, and swung low. Ethan, at least. Before you... Halfway through the thrust I expected, his blade changed course. Now came the real fight. I thought of the machine card in my desk drawer, but it didn't change anything. The stool had to be fought. If the spectators jeered, I didn't hear them. Jason's fight demanded all of my focus. Here were the underhanded moves, the unsportsmanlike conduct, the tricks I could only evade because I'd seen him use them against Ethan. From this side of the sword, that cruelty looked more like desperation. Any second, he might lose control. Hmm. And then he did. Words, and then his mind, and finally his muscles failed him, and a thrust meant to score a point at my torso drove straight at my throat. <sighs> Everything about the moment was wrong. The positions of our swords, his line of movement and the direction of my momentum, the sudden defensive reflex that forced my sword arm up in the only direction available. And the look on his face in that last second before my blade knocked his aside and slid straight into his chest. Desperation melting into relief. Both of his hands moved as he fell. I saw them individually as though the moment happened twice. With his right hand, he dropped the sword purposefully fingers splayed to let it fall with his left he reached into his pocket my knees hit the ground with him in seconds the dead quiet that had fallen over the field would break but for the moment we were alone he wasn't dead yet his whole body twitching arm trembling he removed his hand from his pocket and held it out to me i lied he mumbled and dropped the machine card into my hands the machine didn't change my life a damn bit, but it did answer a question that the last few minutes, last few days had imprinted on my mind. I would have doubted it, wanted to doubt it, but the machine never lied. Printed on the card that Jason gave me were two words, a friend. Goddamn. Oh, that's way better than the story that I submitted. <laughs> To the same <laughs> anthology. Well, thank you. Uh, mm. I, we were talking about this a little bit right before we started recording um, with that general, like, oh, no shit, you submitted to that too sort of thing. Uh, and I was saying that, you know, this was, what, Machine of Death 2 would have been like 2009? 11. Ele that's right. And I have not I have a very specific way of knowing that it was 11, and it's not that I remember. It's that I have a very clear recollection of finishing the story by hand in my parents' car 
as they were telling me to get out to go eat at the Carabas after we'd seen the live cast of the Broadway revival of The Importance of Being Ernst, which it turns out was in summer 2011. <laughs> Incredible. I love how brains work or, you know, don't as the case may be. <laughs> it's like, here is your data. It's yeah. not the data you need, but it's what I'm giving you. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I think that's so great that this anthology that was literally a decade ago. Yeah. You can still find people who, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I was in that pool too. Yeah. Yeah. And God, like that, I don't even think that that was a market that was tracked on, uh, I guess it would have been Duotrope at that point in 2011. Oh my, oh my uh, word. So, uh, which like I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about my submission to this anthology in years, and suddenly I'm, I'm like, I should see if if there's a stub market for that on the grinder, just so I can like log that submission. <laughs> I have no idea how long it took to get turned around. I don't know what email it was associated with at this point. Like all that stuff is lost to the sands of time, but I I need to log that rejection. Yeah. I I was not looking at markets at that point. I found out about it because I followed and still do follow the webcomic Wondermark, which is oh, by yeah. one of the guys who put the anthology together. And I was like, oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, I think that I had been, I was definitely following Wondermark at least some at that point. Um, and I know that because I'm pretty sure I got into Wondermark because of the whole, like, late aughts steampunk thing. Oh, bless. Yeah, that was that time. <laughs> that was that time. Because I, I, I have a first edition copy of the first Machine of Death anthology. Mm. And, or I guess, I don't know if first edition is really a, a thing that was like an early print-on-demand type Thing, but it like, is amazing how much the world has changed. It is wild. Like, we don't think about it most of the time because it's just like, why would we? Yeah, things are super normal. I'm just swimming along. Yep. No, I am very much dating myself for the pod here, but that was the summer I graduated high school. Oh my gosh. So, you know, I had college on the mind and... What's more college than boys killing each other with swords? Mm-hmm. That was the summer I graduated college. Ha-ha. <laughs> yeah, it's also, like, the whole way through. Obviously, they don't, aren't killing each other in, in Fence, but uh, I don't know if you've read uh, C.S. Pascott and Joanna the Mad's Fence graphic novels. I have not. Or the Sarah Reese Brennan uh, novel novels that accompany, that follow, like, the first five trades of that. Uh, oh, really good. I didn't know she was doing that either. Really good, really gay. Like, lots good. and lots of yearning. Lots I'm glad of... she I'm glad she went full gay. It was, gosh, what was the Sarah Reese Brennan book that I loved? The Demon's Lexicon, I think it was. Oh. Like, early, early Sarah Reese Brennan. Yep. I had such a crush on the two brothers in that. <laughs> I, 
literally the only things of hers I've read are the two fence books and in other lands and the, mm. the um oh I can't remember the name of that anthology I know it was not my monster boyfriend but that's all I can think of <laughs> uh but the the anthology that she wrote the short story that became uh in other lands for, oh yeah yeah, yeah. uh so. and like i think picked up in other lands because of uh because of be the serpent and because mm, of seeing yep. sarah reese brennan at WorldCon in san jose and she was in san jose oh no way <laughs> that was my first world con <laughs> Um, Sarah Reese Brennan is lovely. I She's can lovely. This because... She was hilarious on that panel. Oh, and I that's bet. the reason, the second reason I was like, I need to read this book. Now, I third I, reason. I, when I was reading the Demon's Lexicon, uh, I want to say it was her debut. I'm not 100% on that. Sounds uh, but correct. Who knows? Time's at a fake. Point when she was still responding to her fan mail, she might still, <laughs> I really don't know. But I, I went to bed. I woke up at 6 a.m. on a Saturday to finish the book. I immediately went up to my little computer and typed out a little fan email of like, hey, I just wanted to let you know I love this so much. It gave me these vibes. I don't know if you're familiar with Full Metal Alchemist, but it kind of reminded me of that in some ways and just, you know, gushing and, and doing mm -hmm. the fan mail thing. And she responded with, thank you so much. This is so wonderful to read. Funny story about Full Metal Alchemist. Hiromu Arakawa actually did my Japanese cover art. You want to see it? Oh, my God. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> yeah. So absolute treasure. That is amazing. Oh, I love authors so much. Yep. No, for for every like bad author experience, there are so many good ones. Yeah. Yeah. I like I still think fondly back to the time uh gosh, this would have been late twenty ten when I was finishing up uh when I was finishing up the first semester of my senior year of, of college and uh, one of the requirements for the creative writing major at my school was you did a reading. And oh, wow. That's I, brutal. <laughs> and, like, the whole school pretty much would come to it. I, like, not actually the whole school, but this was an 800-person student body college. So, like, you know... Might the, as well have been the whole school. Might as well have been the whole school. Like, the entire, the entire, like, fellowship hall or whatever it was at the, the campus church was just packed with faculty and students. And, you know, you'd get, like, 10 to 12-ish, like, punk-ass, you know creative writing seniors <laughs> getting up and and reading a variety of of things some of which are like haunting and beautiful and i remember to this day and some of which are like okay yeah you read that <laughs> uh, i'm thinking uh, punk ass creative writing seniors fellowship hall of the church is not their natural <laughs> habitat yeah and and I like I don't remember if I wrote immediately before or immediately after but this was like 
you know, this was 2010, so, like, blogs were still a thing. And I miss like, blogs. I miss religiously blogs so read Neil Gaiman's blog, and he had, like, his whole, you know, Ask Neil thing where he would answer fan mail. And so I wrote to him about, like, do you have advice for doing a reading? And he wrote back to me, and I'm like... Oh! You know, there there are some things that he has done and some discourse he has been in, but I still value the fact that, A, he knows what Tumblr is for, and B, he answered my <laughs> fan mail. That is really delightful. And C, he was on that episode of Arthur. Yes, very yeah. important. Uh, I, I definitely turned from baby writer to baby author over uh, some number of years of reading Miss Snark's blog, <laughs> if you remember that one. Uh, oh, yeah. it, it was kind of the spiritual predecessor to Query Shark. Yeah. Uh, she had this amazing character. She had a Bijan Frise and an uh, incredible crush on George Clooney and would just answer people's query questions in ways that now we, especially people in the community at all, we kind of think of common knowledge. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. you follow the guidelines. Yeah, this is the link you're hitting. But in, I don't, like, 2005, yeah. like, that was where you got that information from, like, these rogue bloggers, basically. And yep. she answered one of my questions. I have no recollection of what it was. <laughs> I just remember like running to go find my mom, like, Miss Snark, Miss Snark, answer my question. Incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, there are still bloggers around, thankfully, some. Yes. At least. Holding the line. Yeah. I mean, like, John Scalzi is never going to give up his blog and the work he does to elevate other people's voices, I say bless him for that. Yep. That's that's a really good use of blogs right now. You've got Scalzi, you've got Chuck Wendig. Yep. You've got my favorite part on Mary Robinette's mm -hmm. on Mary Robinette Koala's blog. Um like good on them. Because yeah. I have absolutely found stuff from those blogs and met people and like made friendships with those people because they were on the blog and then I showed up in their dms yeah <laughs> i was also gonna say uh sarah galley's stone soup mm, yes. is another like you know another person who is using their platform for good yep and then uh, and a, a more recent one which which makes yeah. me really happy that those are still kind of being born and, and coming up yeah and i mean i i like to think of i mean this is obviously a podcast but i'm not like your standard straight dude you know talking to a bunch of other straight bros about i don't know what bro podcasts are actually like i've never subjected myself to one i have no recollection but like <laughs> you know th this is this is an audio podcast of highlighting other people's work and yeah i know i'm i'm so grateful to be included i'm so glad blog. that you're doing this yeah 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 and i'm like the best i don't know the best part about it is that me and all my friends are online enough that we've found each other. Yes. But then very much so. the like the second best part is just like pulling some bullshit. Pulling some bullshit on the audio. Uh, what is it? My my second priority life is the well-being and happiness of those close to me. My first priority in life is commitment to the bit. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it's, I mean, it's just so, like, I don't know. There's so many good 
fan casts in the world and so many good like fan spaces if you know where to find them yep and that can definitely feel like an insurmountable wall and i do get that yeah like i 100 percent lucked my way into most of the spaces that i'm in Same. and i say i say lucked but i recognize the element of privilege to that because i can track a direct line to having met you in mm -hmm. some of the spaces that we share all the way back to deciding on a lark to go on the writing excuses cruise in like 2017. fantastic like Incredible. straight line of connections and like that's something you know writing workshop cruise very very fortunate to be able to do that but it's like i don't know where i'd be if that had not been the case Mm-hmm. yeah no i like i wouldn't be sitting in this chair doing a podcast in some ways if i hadn't if my one of my friends from summer camp hadn't told me to go read this webcomic schlock mercenary <laughs> in 2003 all right so we have a we have a shared instructor and yeah. illustrator connection there <laughs> yeah like it went read schlock mercenary for decades mm -hmm. to start listening to writing excuses to eventually join Twitter because it seemed like the thing to do, which, you know, debatable. I, I would say that at the time, at the time you and I joined Twitter, because we probably joined about the same time based on that, it was the thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I would mean, argue like, that it might not be anymore. No, like, I think 2012 Twitter was way better <sighs> than... 2012, we're all stuck in our parents' houses for Thanksgiving Twitter. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible time to be on the internet. Like, you know, almost almost as good as like 2004 era live journal. Oh, uh, I do you recall a professor by the handle of Limeo who wrote fantasy rants? Yes. So back when I was like pretty young, um, like probably was not legally allowed to be on live journal mm -hmm. uh i had an internet timer it was that kind of house i had 30 minutes a day on the internet yep so i discovered pretty quickly one these are text two the timer stops me from opening new tabs it does not stop me from reading tabs i already have open <laughs> so i consumed an awful lot of one huge song of ice and fire fans thoughts on the fantasy genre Amazing. as a way to get around my timer and i you know i think it baffled my parents and they're like well there's worse things she could be doing mm -hmm. mm. honestly now, uh, kids these days will never understand no uh actually i can trace i can trace even more of my life to that phase of internet um two things in 2004 gaia online yep which then pointed me to the nanorimo nanoisms thread of 2004 which is all the people's <laughs> you know, typos and the, the weird shit that ends up in your book when you're trying yeah. to do NaNoWriMo word pacing. And then I got into NaNoWriMo in 2005. And Gaia Online also showed me cosplay around that time. And those <laughs> two things are the entirety of my adult personality. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the, the end of the thread of how I got to be sitting on this side of the microphone was Twitter showed me 
I think the Uncanny Magazine year two Kickstarter when Mary Robinette was, or maybe even the year one Kickstarter, uh, where Mary Robinette was, uh, had donated several short story intensive workshop spots. And I supported Uncanny, was like the last person to get a workshop slot oh, on that's that Kickstarter. So Went to a workshop with, uh, ended up going to a workshop that got postponed until like two days after New Year's in 2015. So July or January 3rd, 2015. Wow. I got up at the, well, no, that would have been the the day that it started. So the next day, January 4th, I got up at the ass crack of dawn yep. to do a workshop that was running on Central Time <laughs> with seven other amazing writers who I'm not as in touch with as I should be, one of whom ended up going to Viable, Viable Paradise 20. Oh, that's so cool. And then introduced me to a bunch of her friends from, Vi- from Viable Paradise who then got me into another Slack where I was like, I'm, I'm sure I was already following you at the point that we became Slack buddies, but it was like one of those things where it was just like, okay, got into a second Slack, everybody I know is here, and half the people who I idolize are also here. <laughs> it's that terrifying moment when not only are some people you idolize accessible, but they're also just dweebs. Yeah. It's the the only way I've been a- able to prepare myself for this mentally is, one, my cousin has a Grammy. He's like <laughs> an actual-ass rock star. Oh, my word. Um, and so, like, but is a massive dork. Yep. Just, like truly massive dweeb i love him so much and two and maybe more important for the like you know i've got musical heroes but not the same way i've got writing heroes that yeah sarah gailey and i have been friends since like literally since like 2014 or 2015 oh wow like you know pre-river of teeth pre-star wars thread going viral on Twitter, like, all of these things where, like, suddenly they just exploded into the public consciousness. And I'm like, no, no, I knew them before all that. <laughs> Granted, not by, like, a huge amount, but I knew them. Still before. Still yeah. before. Still counts. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about cosplay because it's such a big element of fandom in general and i think it has uh we we had a very similar discussion um we're recording this still in june so the episode that just came out with amanda cook uh who has also done some cosplaying over the years and has uh just had some really excellent things to say about the intersections of cosplay and uh, both for yourself and for dolls and mm-hmm. uh, and other aspects of, like, the fandom-to-writer pipeline. Yeah. 
it's it's definitely interesting um like i said i i developed both of those facets of my personality in tandem um so it's they've always been kind of intertwined for me and i've Mm -hmm. always been very much a it is now writing season okay it is now cosplay season um and having like starting to do NaNoWriMo at age 12 does really weird things to your brain and they're (laughs) not all good and i'm deprogramming some of them but uh being able to divide my year into now is a season of time for x is Mm -hmm. is not a bad thing so you have nano in november um my big conventions i i went to school in atlanta i grew up in georgia so i'm still very tightly connected to the atlanta convention scene so my Mm -hmm. big conventions are over memorial day and uh, labor day so it's like that is costume time and then fall winter is writing time yeah um and i am in the midst of another hugo dress commission right now so i'm very hopeful that we'll get to see that uh in august september um but for me what i think is interesting is not even just the fandom pipeline i've started thinking more and more that in my brain at least they're the same craft and like that sounds Mm. stupid but and this has come from a couple of small realizations like i realized i have the problem of i'm sitting down i'm writing a rough draft and i'm mad at it for not being good yet right because i'm just sitting there writing words they could be good and they're not meanwhile i'll go work on a costume and my process at the beginning of a costume i usually do a lot of self-drafting um sewing patterns even though we've had improvements in that again kids mm-hmm. these days will never know the struggle yeah uh, we didn't always have yaya han's catsuit pattern um but i'll start just by cutting out some cheap fabric throwing a mock-up on the dress form tearing it apart marking it up and i realized that why my brain lets me do that it's a literally a different material mm-hmm. there is no potential that this will be the finished thing this yeah. is literally made to be torn up and remade so i'm i've gotten to that realization I have not yet figured out how to apply it to writing, but um, the the advice that goes around sometimes of, oh, write your first draft in Comic Sans, like that actually kind of does the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I keep finding all these little connections. Um, you can talk about structure in very different or very similar ways between a garment and a, a book. You can talk about adornment. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my brain is just very three-dimensional in that way. So that's, it works for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'll have to figure out how to how to essay that at some point, and, you know, yeah. sell it to Stifla. But it's it's definitely cool. It is. It's um, and I think I've talked about this some with um, with Annalie Flowerhorn of like mm-hmm. there's the who also does like sewing and costuming and stuff, um, but they're also a software developer and like i am i am not a software engineer i am a systems engineer i write code that is meant to be functional and never seen they're different they're different (laughs) Uh, i'm a software quality engineer oh man you would not like my spaghetti code well if as long as it works i don't have to look at your spaghetti code (laughs) as long as it works yeah yeah no but like i you know, I've I have learned in some ways to approach my writing the way I approach my scripting because, like, at the end of the day, 
whether I'm writing a story or, a, or like a computer script, I have an end result I want to get to. Mm -hmm. And there's an aspect of just iterating over it that is really important to learn just to like, you're going to write some bad code and it is going to break halfway through and that is fine. That is the process. Yeah. Write, if you can, write the whole thing start to finish and then click run for the first time and see where it breaks mm -hmm. and then do the trace back and then fix that part and watch it break at the next, you know, like ideally, ideally I'd be able to just run tests against my writing, but there is not a <laughs> oh test suite. Why would pros. that look like? Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Test and suite like, for writing. And I'm just much more, I'm always much more comfortable because like I came from like before I ever started writing, I was like working on bicycles and like working with my hands and, you know, like being the weird gremlin child who just spent all day in the basement, like hacking things together with bits of wood and like random stuff and like, Yes, Gremlins Unite. Yeah, and and still do that to this day, just now I have a 3D printer that makes the things for me. Oh, that's so dangerous. It's too much power. I it's just got a resin power. printer. It's so much power. Honestly, I shouldn't have a robot that can just, like, squirt plastic for me. No. It's... No no one should have ever had this power, and now we cannot be stopped. Now we cannot be stopped. I, I literally just yesterday and today... I got a new speaker for my desk. It did not fit on my desk. I was like, I can solve this problem with CAD. Made mm -hmm. brackets, put the speaker on top of my monitor, saw that the brackets were bending, made the brackets chonkier, printed them again, and it is good enough. Ah, uh, I, that's what I really want. Every time I'm working on a, a sewing project, like I have finished so many sewing projects. I keep a spreadsheet somewhere. I know I'm missing something. It's in the <laughs> 70s and 80s now. That's a lot. Costumes, either for me or for someone else. Commissions, stuff for friends, stuff for sibling, whatever. I need to figure out how to turn the part of my brain that finishes sewing projects into a part of my brain that can finish other things mm -hmm. and can find those solutions in writing the way I can find them in sewing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I just heard this weird noise and this blue police box showed up in, in the podcast studio. And I'm wondering at this point if we can take a step into this time machine and look back and uh, see if there's any advice that you today, Miri, can offer young writer Miri Baker. Or, oh, all right. to be honest, you know, young crafter, young sewist, young costumer. Yep. All right. All right. Nice machine we got here. A uh, little, little um, smaller yeah. on the outside, you know? A little smaller on the outside. I'm recording this from my basement, so it had to fit somehow. Yeah. Uh, advice for past little Mary. Uh, one, you're more extroverted than you think you are. School <laughs> is just hard. So it's okay. Other people are not your enemies. I bet mm -hmm. they're cool, actually. Um... And 
gosh, I want to say something about finishing the things that you start. And I think that is important. So like try and do a little more of that. Mm -hmm. But the exploratory phase of just having 300 first pages of something on your computer, like that's cool. That's practice. Mm -hmm. Just make sure to practice the other parts too. (laughs) Yeah. Like finishing stuff is a skill that you practice. And that time that you decided at two in the morning before anime week in Atlanta, you know what? These gloves are good enough. I can wear them and have fun. Keep that. Keep Mm -hmm. that. Cultivate it. That book you're working on at two in the morning can be good enough and you can read it and have fun. Yeah. And uh, don't don't worry too much about what other people want to read just yet, because uh, the only person who's guaranteed to read your writing is you. Mm -hmm. So you better like it. Yeah, you've, and... got, you've got something in here in the show note, uh, in the, the pre-recording questionnaire that I think mel- uh, blends really well with this. Uh, kill not the part of you that is cringe, kill the part that cringes. Kill the part that cringes. Yep. Now, I saw that around one of the social medias that gets reposted to other social medias. Mm-hmm. My favorite way of consuming content in oh, the year of our Lord 2022. Yeah. But... Yeah, the part of you that is cringe, cringe is usually a response to thinking about how other people won't like the thing that you like. Mm-hmm. If they don't like it, cool. It's not for them. Mm-hmm. There's stuff that is for them. But that thing that you love so much it's a little embarrassing, that's your power source. Mm-hmm. So chase that one down. Yeah. Yeah, that, like... Once you learn to harness liking the things you like, you're unstoppable, baby. You're unstoppable. You're a lot more fun to be around. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not too much. Yeah. You're just an amount. You're an and you're amount. You're going to find people who like that amount. Yep. Yeah. And like, I mean, that that comes down to something we were talking about earlier, which is like, finding your communities because like there are you're gonna be in communities that don't really work for you and that's part of the process too yep learning what doesn't work for you learning to identify it earlier and earlier in the process Mm -hmm. that's a big one yep and that way you can see one message and just go i'm a dip goodbye friend yep and you know that doesn't mean you're gonna dip on everybody there you are still probably going to slide into somebody's DMs from there on the reg to, <laughs> you know, gossip or scream or whatever. And that's important. Having people to scream about everything with. Yeah. Especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Yeah. And it's, I've definitely noticed it being hard right now because everyone is, everyone is so tired. Like, I've definitely felt myself not being able to, you know, show up for people the way I want to. I've definitely felt like a a delay in people responding, and that is also part of it. But just Mm -hmm. finding those communities where even the low effort, like, I thought of you, here's an adorable angry burb. Yeah. Like, that's okay, too. Yep. Yep. I, I, yeah, I uh, am a fan of the podcast Friends at the Table, an actual play podcast about crying. (laughs) uh and i have a friend who's like i don't know 
20 episodes behind me in the partisan season and <laughs> who I'm just like, I have like three or four Tumblr tabs open of posts that are spoilers and I'm just waiting, like I will know when she reaches that spot because she will scream at me mm -hmm. and then I can send her the spoilers. The only thing better than watching a good media is watching someone else watch the good media. Yes. Yes. It's If you if you like the show Gravity Falls, go show someone who's never seen it the first episode of Gravity Falls. You will lose <laughs> your entire shit the first time Sam's car is on screen. I I had the like Remember when everyone was getting into Steven Universe? I do. I showed up to that one 15 minutes late at Starbucks. Yep. Yep, and, like, everybody was like, no, no, it's super cool, just stick out the first three episodes, and then you get to Catfingers, and <laughs> if you're like me, you lose your entire shit because it is wholesome body horror. Yep. And then uh, you cannot be stopped. Falls too. It was Paper Jam Dipper, when it <laughs> went from, I'm watching this in the background while I'm sewing, to I'm dragging my partner into the room and restarting from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Wholesome mm -hmm. body horror. We need more of it. That's we the need, energy we need to bring to SFF. We need more wholesome body horror, and we need more whatever it was that was happening in all of season one, and then from season th the beginning of season three onward in Shira Princess of Power. Mm -hmm. Like I am, I am a season two defender, but Netflix just cut season two in half. There was no real resolution in it, and all the good stuff that would have happened in season two was just season three. And so I fell off the show literally right before the last episode of season two until, like, right before the, finale, the final season came out. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was one... When did you... I was working on my largest cosplay project to date when Shira started airing. So I started watching it and then I hit the part of the, sh the project where I could no longer have background noise because I was just mm -hmm. doing stuff, doing stuff, doing stuff. So I think I fell off around the end of season one. So that's when I'm going to have to go back and pick up. Yeah. Real good. Real, real good. And then, and like, and thankfully in the year of our Lord 2022, we have archive of our own, which like, I, I know many fanfiction.net defenders Fanfiction.net is not as good as Archive of Our Own. Every now and then I'm reminded that FF.net still exists. It still exists. It still looks like a PHP BBS like stock installation. Oh, bless. Yeah. It just has to function. It just has to function. It just has to function while AO3 can be out here winning Hugo Awards and having freeform <laughs> tagging. Because all the queers who made AO3 came from Tumblr and understood that Tumblr is good because you can just put whatever the fuck you want in the Tumblr tags. Oh my gosh, I could go on an entire... No, I did. I did write an entire linguistics paper about how Tumblr tags are used. Excellent. That was in that hazy part of college where I know that it happens. It definitely happened. <laughs> definitely but like, happened. I don't know. Time is fake. Who knows? Time is fake. Maybe there were swords. Mm. Yeah. Mary, it's been 
so much fun having you on to just do a verbal ship post for an hour ish. Yes, uh, talk about the olden days. Talk about the, the olden days. days. Don't understand. It, no, it's been delightful. It's so good. A uh, couple of quick questions before we go. Uh, one, do you have anything that you have coming out that you'd like people to know about? Uh, I do not have any writing work coming out at this point. I will ask uh, our listeners to keep an eye on the novelette section of the Hugo nominees this year. Excellent. Um, Excellent. But that is my current work in progress. Fantastic. I am extremely excited for... I mean, I'm extremely excited just for the Hugos in general because the... This late this year's year's banana is good. I'm honestly kind of relieved I can't attend because then I'd have to vote. (laughs) (laughs) I, I am voting and I have no idea how I am voting. Like... No. No, there, there are really not any wrong answers in most of these categories this year. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put one, like, Go Arcane, the mm-hmm. show that I am viscerally angry that it was as good as it was. <laughs> the, that show has no right to have been no. as good. No right. And, I mean, it's, it's the latest in a long line of video game a- animation adaptations that also have no right to be as good as they are. But, like, yeah, the final episode, the monster... Uh, you created like absolutely deserves to be on a Hugo ballot and freaking riot made it mm-hmm. and also it got me back into playing league but that's my own damn fault <laughs> every time i think about arcane i remember like not that ruby is a video game show but i remember like i you know i remember the olden days of R- rooster teeth Oh, yeah. Like, season one of Red versus Blue shit. <sighs> the day, uh, that's the olden days. That's the olden days. That brings me all the way back to high school and, like, watching that shit on my friend's laptop in the hall in between classes. Watching anime in three videos per episode in 280p, like God intended. Like God intended. Absolutely. But, like... That we went from a couple of guys making a stupid little show in Halo multiplayer to Ruby, which is, like, fantastic and is also still, like, at least the early seasons very much have that look of, like, you mastered Flash, but you still made it in Flash. It's, you have hit the ceiling of flesh. Yeah. Which, like, all the more power to you could never be me. I, I didn't I didn't ask your flesh. Yeah. And then we're at Arcane. And Which, what the like, fuck? even even animation Twitter is like, yeah, there's all the stuff that we kinda know how to do, but have never been able to do. And they just did it. Yeah. They just And did also, it. of all the things I expected from Riot, justice for Kate by shippers, not one of them. No. No. I mean, we we know about video game companies. <laughs> we know! We know better! We, uh, we've known know. for years. Um, that brings me handily into, is there anything that you're pumped up about that you really want our listeners to read, watch, listen to, 
uh, shove straight into their brain via their <laughs> spinal column. Well, on the topic of video games that I've spent uh, a completely unreasonable amount of my time engaged in either playing or cosplaying from, uh, I found out today that Persona 5 Royal is coming to Steam. Oh my god. So, so if you didn't have the console for that one, now you would do. Excellent. Uh, very excited about that. I have definitely... Uh, played a more normal amount of that game. I played a normal amount of that game. I'm going to be playing another normal amount of Merciless New Game Plus 100% run at some point in the next year. Excellent. Um, and then another thing that I enjoy a normal amount is the Watch Tomb series by Tamsin Muir, uh, which I have cosplayed from several times and will cosplay from several more because Tamsin Muir is from fandom and knows how to make a cosplayable book. Yes. Uh, so None of the Night coming out in September. Could not be more hyped for that. I'm so excited. I still cannot believe for a book in which the internet for books in which the internet does not exist i cannot believe just how fucking online those books are i have my potted pitch for gideon the knights which usually gets people but if that doesn't for some reason i just let them know that there's a 1.8 book lead up to the best dad joke of all time and that usually gets them <laughs> The number of times I've screamed just at at just at Gideon the Ninth for like stupid fucking Tumblr jokes from yeah, 2014. Like, Gideon Good is not exactly a hot take, I know, yeah. but uh, it just has such a special place in my heart. It it hits the if you are terminally online and you haven't read the Lock Tomb series yet, and you like skeletons. And you like <laughs> lesbians and swords and pining and uh, weird bone and monsters. And an underage, underage Agatha Christie novel that went to a hot topic and then a space rave that was actually a JRPG all along. Mm-hmm. And yet still is somehow just like eight cyber gods having a rave underneath a freeway. <laughs> I mean, it, let's face it, if you like all those things and haven't read it yet, it's probably because you made the decision not to, and I respect it. But also read it. Yeah, Like, yeah. you can read it quietly when all the hype has died down, that's fine. I've done that myself a number of times. Yeah, it's perfectly fair. You can read it and don't have to tell anybody about it. That nope, it, it'll be our secret. It's theoretically possible to like a thing and not tell everybody you know about it. I don't know how to do that, but I know that it's possible. <laughs> could not be me but could be you it could be you listener it could be you uh <laughs> mary can you tell our listeners where you can find your delightful shit posting and liking things a normal amount yes i like things a normal amount on twitter at mary baker and uh and my other aspect of seamstress i finally got my shit together and have a Folio website, which was created for me by the lovely Rekka J, uh, which you can find friend of the at show. friend of the show, uh, which you can find at millimetriccosplay.com. Uh, that has my completely normal amount of Persona Five content, uh, as well as pictures of the aforementioned capelet, yep. uh, fashioned after "This Is How You Lose the Time War" for Amal at the Hugos. Yes, which, like, I just go there occasionally and look at those pictures because it makes me honestly a little mad how cool that is. 
it made me honestly a little a little mad to realize that like the design I put together for that, I love it dearly. And then I cut out the pieces and then I looked at them and went, I cannot sew a single one of these on the machine, can I? <laughs> I did this to me. You did that and to I yourself. Would, I would do it again. Yep. You know, th- those are problems for future Miri. <laughs> I've I've been there. I've done that. Not in those I, specific ways, but you know. And I do it again. And I do it again. Yeah, unless it's the Cloudflare API, I would not do that again. Fuck do that not way. recommend. Do not recommend. No. If if you're going to write specific custom error codes, they have to not be generalized so much that they're useless, Cloudflare. <laughs> Remember, dear listeners, Kill not the part of you that is cringe. Kill the part that cringes and document your APIs. And document your fucking APIs. Document your fucking APIs. Listeners, tune in again next month when our guests will be Valerie Valdez and the return also of Rem Wigmore. Ooh. I know. I'm so excited. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Lillian Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbisniex. If you like the show, Consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. <laughs>